I was, I was telling you earlier that I, I really like the book, and I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what made you kind of buckle down and collect it all? Well, I didn't really buckle down. Um, <laughs> what happened, the, the thing that, the way it worked was this. Um, so I was living in San Francisco, and I'd been doing my zine Somnambulist for, at that point, probably like eight years. And um, my publisher, Michael Heald, he started a small press in Portland. And I didn't know who he was, but he emailed me and said, I picked up a copy of your zine at the Multnomah County Library, and I really liked it. And would you want to do a book project? Because he had subsequently, like, went and got, like, a bunch of back issues and mm-hmm. stuff. So I was like, yeah, I mean, I never had any a book published as my first book. Yeah. And so I was totally stoked on it. And um, so then when I graduated, I moved back to Portland. And over the course of the summer, we just, I kind of, like, threw everything I'd ever written at him, like... The, the book is, um, I'd say, 50% from my zine and then 50% or like 30% from my blog, which has been going on for a really long time and I put a lot of stuff up there. And then 20% just like stuff that's never seen the light of day. Mm. Um, and then voila, a book. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was telling you before we were rolling that that was my first exposure to, I guess, the zine or just your writing in general. And I'm, um, it's probably it's probably a good way to get into it because, you know, it seems like it's interesting in that, you know, it seems like it's weird to say, but it like almost like, I don't know, it hit his stride when you kind of really found something to write about. You know, you mm-hmm. were doing some sort of, you know, family stuff mm-hmm. up then, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, unfortunately, what what actually happened to you actually ended up being kind of a, it really ended up focusing your writing. Mm hmm. It's interesting to look back on, like, for people that don't know. Uh, so I was diagnosed with Cushing's disease in 2008. And, you know, like the first, what it, what would you say, like third of the book is like yeah. family stories yeah. and stuff. And then I'm diagnosed. And it's roughly like chronological. The book's like chronological in my life, you know. So, um, but, you know, look, I just recently actually was going back through a lot of my writing. And um, I think it's like when something like that happens, I was like, going to the doctor once or twice a week I was having surgeries I was like experiencing all this crazy shit that just made me reevaluate my whole past 10 years of my life because Mm. I probably had the disease at that point for like eight years but didn't know it and with Cushing's disease you have like too much cortisol which is a stress hormone so it's not just physical it's also psychological symptoms it's like that moment in the movie (laughs) where all of a sudden the protagonist goes back and realizes that everything was connected right yeah like oh my god that's why that happened that's why that happened that's why that happened and so it was a huge thing in my life and so it really took on this urgency and this like i needed to write it all down and i would Hmm. i wasn't really working i was only working like two days a week and all i did was draw and write and um and it's not the same anymore. It's more of a luxury now. But at that point, it was like a need. I needed to do it. I had to survive. And that was the only way I could survive was by writing. So, so sort yeah. of going back and figuring those things out, like figuring them out through writing? or uh, No, just, I mean, that's, that was part of like the mind fuck of it. You know, it was like looking back in my life. Yeah. Not only the physical symptoms and like, oh, my God, what am I going to do now? I have this like potentially fatal disease. But also, what does this mean for who my sense of self? And like who I am and the decisions I've made actually are highly influenced by hormones, hmm. you know, which is crazy. I don't think a lot of people realize. Yeah, I mean, that's what a, they do is so influenced by their biology. Yeah, that's I mean, that's certainly not um, particular to this right disease. Yeah. Right. I mean, that just that yeah. is in general, but I th- it yeah. really lets you take stock of that in an interesting way. Right? Yeah, totally. You know, totally. That, that in a yeah. sense, like nothing's entirely entirely organic. 
cataloging your life and, and writing about your life is, is not a new thing for you. Mm-hmm. You've been doing mm-hmm. that for some time now. Mm-hmm. But now you have this interesting new perspective. Mm-hmm. Are you revisiting things? Revisiting things I've written? Yeah. Yeah, I was just doing that last night, yeah. actually. Um, right before I was diagnosed, I was writing this memoir, and it was all about the apocalypse. And... Um, Trying to figure out why I was so obsessed with the apocalypse. A fictionalized memoir? No, it was a true. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and why my mother was obsessed with the apocalypse and why my grandmother was obsessed with the apocalypse in different forms. My grandmother, who ended up being diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic, was obsessed with the communists taking over. And then my mother was obsessed with the, um, you know, the biblical ap- apocalypse. And then yeah. at a certain point, and what I realized after I was diagnosed that I was being, I was so obsessed with like peak oil and, you know, ecological collapse, but to a point that was like not normal, you know, like yeah. everyone's worried about those things, but it was like to an insane degree. And at the time I was thinking, why is it that I'm so obsessed with this? Lo and behold, I had like five times the normal amount of stress hormones in my body. And that was why. Wow. <laughs> so it was kind of a... It's kind of like not very interesting, but also interesting. No, you know what I mean. It it totally is. I mean, how do you, how do you um, how do you reconcile the fact that that your mother and grandmother were? Well, I think that my mom probably wasn't as crazy as I or my grandma okay. was. You know, yeah. But you know, they don't really know why people have schizophrenia, but they do know that it can be caused by stress, and stress is actually hormonal. Hmm. And they also know that it can ca- be caused by adolescence or menopause which are also hormonal did the um diagnosis did that was that what stopped you from writing that book yes because i had to rethink the whole thing yeah yeah but i've gone back and kind of mined a lot of it actually that's what my next zine's about i assembled most of it yesterday and it was all those old writings and a lot of them were just about growing up in a fundamentalist christian household yeah and um and biology too yeah so just like kind of philosophical like what is my philosophical architecture uh-huh. now yeah based on all that shit yeah you know? yeah yeah I mean, the one thing i would say like if if there's one thing that that makes you feel better about the appending apocalypse i think it's 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 the context that everybody every generation has been equally yeah. concerned right with it right in some other form yeah right yeah so. and it always has a grain of truth in it and i think maybe Ours isn't just a grain of truth, but a boulder. Yeah. You know, you, you, I mean, there's legitimate reasons to be freaked out for sure. Yeah. But not to the point where I was. So, so your, your opinions on the end of the world have, have dramatically shifted since you've been medicated? Well, since I had an organ removed, I ended up having my adrenals taken out. Hmm. Yeah. That, so I had to have my adrenals taken out. So this isn't covered in the book. Okay. So basically I had two pituitary surgeries to try to remove the tumor that was causing the Cushing's disease, but they weren't successful. And then I don't know if you remember, but then in the book I go on an experimental drug study where yeah. I have to inject myself with um, shit. I don't even know what it was, but it was horrible for a year and it didn't work. So then I, the only thing that you can basically do at that point, if you have two, like it's easy, if you don't have enough hormones, it's easy because you can just take a pill. But if you have too much hormones, there's really nothing you can do except take the offending organ out. So they had to take my adrenals out. So now I'm on replacement hormones. So now I'm at a quote unquote normal level, but they had to take it, the organ out. Your body is not manufacturing nothing. Yeah. Adrenaline. No, um, cortisol or fludrocortisone or cortisone well, or whatever. So uh, this, uh, this, you know, obviously you're you're um, you know you're kind of getting your levels under control. But what? How does that affect the body? Like body, if you're not 
medicated beyond that? What is the removal of that organ? Uh, it has a lot of effects. Like, okay, for instance, the first thing, the reason why they don't want to do it, the reason why they want to try to try everything before they can they yeah. do this is because if I don't have my medication, speaking about the end of the world, like if there was a zombie apocalypse, people are like, what would you do in a zombie apocalypse? It's like, well, I'd be dead in three days because if I don't get my medication... You know, I'm de- I will go into a coma in three days. Yeah. And half the third day I'll be, like, puking and, like, dizzy and falling over and everything. So that's that's well, You that. would be a zombie in the zombie I would apocalypse. be a zombie, exactly. Um, and, you know, for a while I was kind of, like, freaked out about it. But it's like, now it's just like, what are you going to do? You know, who cares? Yeah. It's actually a blessing. I wouldn't, probably wouldn't suffer very much if, like, the, you know, shit went down. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'd have an easy out. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't really worry about that. But then the other just like normal like day-to-day stuff like um I uh it's kind of like being a diabetic, you know, okay. and it, it sucks because it has doesn't have to do with food, but it has to do with exercise. So like if I've been trying to exercise more and I'm fine walking, I'm fine. Like I could walk 25 miles and I'd be fine. But then the other day I tried to run and seriously, it was the first time I even jogged in 7 years because I have osteoporosis and I've actually broken my ankles. Did you want to... We could talk about something yeah, else. let's talk about osteoporosis. <laughs> I, I, I thought that was something that happened to 75-year-old women. Uh, so, yeah, when I had Cushing's disease, um, your body says, I'm in fight-or-flight mode, and your bones aren't... According to your body, your bones are not as important as your internal organs. So in the prioritization of your body, yeah. bones are, like, last on the list. So it, um, it tries to protect the internal organs and all that and you know to hell with your bones so i do have really bad osteoporosis and i've broken my ankles from running so i was always really freaked out about it but the thing is you know i don't know if you exercise a lot but if you're out walking fast and you're like want to get your you want to get your exercise done and you're like your body wants to run you're like i want to run and i was like fuck it i'm just gonna run so i start running and i felt fine the rest of the day i think i in total jogged or ran Maybe 400 or 200 meters, like not even that much, all told. The next day, this was on Thursday, I felt like horrible. Like, hmm. felt like I had a flu, my body hurt, I was exhausted. So this wasn't even immediate impact. This is like a hangover Later, yeah. And my doctor has told me, like, if you want to work out really hard, you have to, like, pre... You have to, like, give yourself a stress dose of the... Essentially steroids or yeah. what I'm on. And... um and it just sucks because it's like it's so impulsive. Like exercise is kind of impulsive when you think about it. Like what level you're gonna yeah, do? I've certainly gotten into like routine. Yeah, yeah, it is possible. Yeah, it's like you know sometimes you just feel like I'm gonna push yeah, it today. And sure. it, but if you haven't taken your pill, sure, then, sure. And also he was like, you're just gonna have to experiment. Like I don't know what I don't. I can't give you a roadmap to tell you. The thing is, like diabetics, it's basically the same thing. Like if you are like I'm gonna p- eat a piece of cheesecake or bread you know how much insulin you have to take because it's something like one out of 20 people are diabetic like there's so much data in america yeah in america (laughs) right in america but with my disease there's like it's like one out of a million or something wow you know so there isn't really that much information really hard for them to figure it out then too if it's such a rare to diagnose it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Yeah, a lot of i was lucky because i was diagnosed within a year but um, after manifest really long time, but, you know, I'm on a lot of support groups and stuff on, on Facebook. And, yeah. um, some people go like eight or nine years without getting diagnosed because w- one of the thing, ways I was lucky and not to like segue this into just Cushing's disease, but, um, 
I was lucky because my first manifestation of symptoms was my fractured ankles and my osteoporosis. Whereas and that's, most, that's lucky. That's lucky because a lot of people, the first thing you gain weight, a lot of weight with this disease. I gained seventy pounds, but if you're, that's your first symptom that you're yep. fat, you go into a doctor's office. They're going to be like, "You're lying. You need to stop eating so much." And so that's the problem with manifesting yeah. like obesity is your first symptom. Whereas I had only gained like maybe twenty pounds. So it was like, it, yeah, it was just better for me to have broken my ankles. <laughs> it's interesting. Like the, the, the idea of like a support group is, is interesting because it's like, I don't know, you're part of this club, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, is that, do you have, do you have, do you have Cushing's parties? Do you like, how do you, how there's do you a Cushing's research uh, foundation that I've been to a conference at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's that like? Oh my God. Insane. I mean, people that have Cushing's that have active Cushing's are usually like, I think they could be diagnosed mentally ill. I know me and know I was, they're just hyper reactive. And so half the time you get, you know, all the cured people that are like normal. And then the other half are like, un, you know, uncured. And so yeah. they're like totally reactive and like sobbing and like screaming at people. I mean, it wasn't that dramatic, but definitely it was, it was pretty crazy. It's like a lot yeah. of weird interactions at the, the hotel bar. I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Very strange. What, what, so it's just it's like a series, just a series of like lectures. Yeah, or? a lot of um, a lot of specialists come up and give talks and stuff okay. like that. So yeah, um, it, you know when I was first realizing, oh my god, I have this rare disease. Like, have you ever seen that Monty Python uh, Ministry of Funny Walks? Sure, that's what it reminded me of. How you so? know, like we well, we're all like we all have a funny walk. Like yeah. that's that's we need that. And there is actually, I think it's I don't know if it's called the Ministry of Rare Diseases, but there's some organization through the um, National Institute of Health and yeah, NIH. Bowler hats and yeah, I yeah. mean it's like the wackos basically yeah. so well yeah. i mean are, you know there's are, are, are have you have you it's a weird question i guess but have you made friends from this uh yes one yeah. friend okay. mm-hmm. yeah who lives in portland okay. but she's the only person i've ever met besides going to that conference yeah that has the same disease as me and also another thing that makes it stranger and weirder is that everyone has something slightly different mm. with their case so you listed like what was it 70 symptoms or something yeah there's 80, 80 symptoms. symptoms yeah and, and also there's a different progression like some people like me had to have their adrenals out some people were cured and even if you get cured by this um pituitary surgery there's a 50 percent reoccurrence rate so a lot of people go through the thing where they're cured and then they have to go through the whole diagnostic process again which can yeah. be really horrible so yeah, I mean, you seem you seem to be all right now. Where, I'm doing where, pretty. Where I'm doing at? really good. Yeah, I'm doing really good. Yeah, uh, this last year was hard because I found out the surgeries they did on my pituitary essentially fucked my pituitary, so it doesn't work either. So now I'm basically on every hormone you can be on hmm. besides testosterone. But I could go on that if I wanted to. Sure, <laughs> impress the guys at the gym, right? Yeah, um, but I am on human growth hormone, which is a shot, and that was really hard to get because all these like Hollywood starlets are like, "I'm getting old, like I need human growth hormone." It's like, basically a steroid, and yeah, um, so it's super hard to get qualified for that. And then it, and then it's like really expensive. If I didn't have insurance, I think it would be like four grand a month. What do you, where, where are, you are you working? Drug. Are you basically, do you have a job to have insurance to pay for these things? Is that kind of the main? No, I don't okay. have a, I have seven jobs and I am at the tail end of my Cobra. It actually expires this month. And then I'm going to get on something called Oregon Medical Insurance Pool. And my aunt and uncle are actually going to pay for half of it just so I can get my drugs. And it's 400 and it's four hundred dollars a month, so that gives you any indication yeah. of what my actual cost would be yeah. without it. It's a deal. Um, 
What, so how, does, <laughs> how, how does seven jobs affect your situation? Uh, well, in one respect, like, you know, I've always kind of been, not that I like listen to punk music, but there's a certain like punk um, ethic. Yeah. And I've subscribed to that. And, I and it's, 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 there's definitely like, I, 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 I get this like, it's this Portland thing almost, right? I mean, everybody here seems to have like every, every artist here. You know, I, I just uh, I talked talk to Nicole George, Nicole, yeah. and she's probably got like eight or nine things going on mm-hmm, at one time. Mm-hmm. It's not unusual in that respect. No, I mean it's kind of yeah, it is kind of a Portland thing. But I mean, in a larger aspect, it's like um, okay, so you're being like I worked at a grocery store for seven years, yeah. and it was always something like working at a grocery store, but I'm really an artist because it's easier to say that than like I'm a doctor, but I'm really an artist. You know, like yeah. that isn't really flow as well it's the waitress actress thing right? yeah, yeah yeah and like i'm being noble i'm like living for my art not my job sure. but at a certain point it's like you know you can say oh fuck the man but like pretty soon the man's fucking you yeah and i'm 33 and i want to be able to afford to live live you know and so the illness has really like put me into into like the stark reality of like what I need to do. So I think actually um, I'm probably going to go into business with my mom. She's a real estate agent. So I'm probably going to become a real estate agent. Huh. <laughs> uh, hmm. Yeah. I'm just I'm trying to think about like what a day would be like for you. Is that, is that an appealing thing at all or is that just stability? Um, it's not something I dreamed about since I was a kid. Sure. Well, those red blazers are pretty great, though, right? <laughs> what, who, what company has red blazers? Or red vests. Isn't that a thing? I don't know. Red, I don't know. I haven't heard I of that. that on TV. I haven't heard of that. Um, I think it's for me, it's like, okay, I can't really have a job where I have to be there every day at the same time because of my illness. Like, just my health is, like, yeah. really up and down. So the cool thing about real estate is that um, it's really flexible. You know, I can basically make my own hours, so... But there are yeah. there are a lot of things that you can do as a writer, right? Or you know, or did did do you not want to go into a writer as one of your kind of part time well, jobs? Well, I've been doing that for a long time, and yeah. it's not like I'm going to quit writing. Yeah. But at this point, I need to make I need to make money now. Okay. I don't want to like I can't like build my career yeah. over the long haul at this point. Yeah. You know yeah. so. That's where I'm at with that. Not gonna sit down. Or right you can give me a, a career advice. Do you want to give me career advice? I, I don't. Well, I, <laughs> I don't know if I have great career advice, but I mean, this is something. This is something that I've been dealing with for for a while. So you I, seem like you have like 15 million jobs. Yeah, th- I, this is not. This doesn't really pay any sorts of bills, but <laughs> this is more. This is more of a fun thing. But you know, and then. God, I, I, I imagine that people list, who've listened to multiple episodes of this podcast are probably tired of this conversation, but this is one that I keep coming back to with creative people, which is like, how close to your dream job do you want to get? Like, do you want to work within the periphery of what you would ideally want to do? Like, if you're a musician, do you want to work at a record label? Well, I think the idea of a dream job is a very middle class idea. But but I mean, if you you know if you want to be a writer, right? If you want right. to be like a novelist, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I've wanted to be a writer forever, and I, mm-hmm. I do technically write for a living. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of in that wheelhouse in a sense. But you know, ultimately, is it good to get as far away from that as possible? Well, I think that's a good point. Yeah. And uh, I listened to a um, radio program about creativity, and there's something called, um, I just like saying it because it's so funny, um, transient hypofrontality, <laughs> which basically means that you get your best creative ideas when your frontal lobe, which is yeah. your linear, logical, is going in and out. Hypo means slow. 
uh, so it's transient hypofrontality. So it comes and goes, and it's slow, and it's not always on. And that's where you get your creative sure. ideas. Like people say, oh, I go for a walk, or get in the shower, I'm falling asleep. You know, and it's clearing I, your head in in a sense. It's zoning out. Yeah. Basically, what it means is you're daydreaming. Yeah. And if you have a job where you like, when I was wrapping cheese for a living, I'm sure I had to do some customer service, but. It was like a monkey could do that job. Sure. You know, I was I mean, you wouldn't want a monkey touching a, cheese. But. No. <laughs> robot. How about yeah, okay. that? Um, so a robot could do that job. And I had a lot of time to like space out and like think of ideas and like go over things that I already written in my head. And so in a way it was perfect. Yeah. But as you get older, if you have health problems, if you want to have kids or whatever, it's like, well, it's not going to cut it monetarily. To do that. And so I think that's the crossroads I'm at right now. Yeah. And I also have written for money and it's not as fun as you think it would be. You know, it's not, it's like, you know, you're a seamstress and you make making these wonderful yep. things and then someone's like, make me a moo moo. It's just not, it's, it's not as fun. And there is something to be said about having your job be this and your writing be this and sure. there's no relation. Sure. You know, one of, one of the interesting things about what you've been doing is, um, you know, it seems like mo- most of the people who I, I, I talk to at this point are still doing zines. Like, it's almost a necessity to be a Luddite, right? For a lot of those people that yeah. they won't, you know, for whatever reason, the idea of blogging, the idea of writing online doesn't appeal to them. I think just because they're so married to the romanticism of mm-hmm. self-publishing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, was, in was, paper. In paper, yeah. And, and like literally, like, you know, being the person who screen prints all those yeah. things that they wouldn't want to make the transition but that said like you know a, a good example of that like Aaron Comabus is a good example mm-hmm. right he's does probably the most popular zine in the world but he doesn't publish anything online yeah um, you know did, did, was that even a choice for you or was it just clear that you just wanted to write in whatever medium you could do you um, have you always been into zines yeah yeah for a long time for a long since I was in my well okay not to yeah. like turn it back on you but sure. what do you feel is the progression of zines like Cons- like, how old were you when you started reading zines? Probably 12 or 13. 12 or 13. Sure. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I'm assuming you're around the same age as me. So, mm-hmm. like, early 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And they've gone through phases, I sure. mean, don't you think? Sure. And I don't know what phase it's in right now. Yeah. Like, you know, every so often there'll be this um, article that's like, zines are still here. <laughs> and everyone in the zine community is like, zines have always been here. Comics aren't just yeah. for kids anymore. Yeah. But, you know, and... It, Maybe some people are going to be mad at me for saying this, but it was like a year ago. You know, I'm on my 21st issue, and it's not like I'm going to quit, but I started thinking about what the cultural relevance of zines Mm -hmm. are. And in Portland, like, at Powell's, they used to have the zines by the magazines, and are they? Do they even have them anymore? Because I was well, I'm about to get there, right? Okay. Okay, so what happened was. They would. I would bring in 25 issues, 20 issues of my zine. They'd all be gone by the next time I had one out. And now when I go in, Kevin, who runs the small press, you know, section, he, like, brings me back zines that I haven't sold. And it's, like, really depressing. Well, the reason why is they took the zines from where next to the magazines and they put e-reader shit, like, in the place of where the zines. There's, like, 800 Kobos up front. Oh, really? Okay. And then they put the zines in this little cramped area back in the small press ghetto, basically. And... No one find, no one knows where they are. Yeah. No one. And the, the cool thing about where they were before is that like people that didn't know what zines were were like, oh, here's these weird looking magazines. Sure. I'll get one of these. So you, it's just I don't know. Anyway, so it really kind of put me into a funk, and I'm like, what am I 
what about this form is starting to feel like not relevant anymore? It's interesting too you know? that it was like one very specific thing that I think you could probably apply to yeah. everywhere, right? Right, right. It was symbolic almost of yeah. the, the shift. Yeah, away. yeah. And so where I'm at right now, like you said, you hadn't actually heard of my zine before you read mm-hmm. my book. Yeah. And I've been, haven't been really distributing it to as much, to as many stores anymore, which I probably should, but I've been focusing on the fact that like I, sub- I have a sub- subscriber list of people who subscribe to my zine. And so they pay $15 for four issues. And I'm, I'm now at the point where I'm subscribed like 10 or 15 issues out. Yeah. I've, it's always around like a hundred, 120 people. And it's like, that's my audience. And that is personal. You know, and those are people I know for the most part. And it's like a letter, you know, and it's not really because I'm a Luddite. It's more of the personal Hmm. connection for me. You know, I'm not a Luddite. I mean, I I just started a website and I I almost tipped over my wine there. How how involved Um, are you in the process of making the physical objects? I do it all myself. You do is all that myself. what you mean? Yeah. 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 What, yeah. What, what, is, what, is, what, is, what is that like? What's the process of making it? Well, it always looks really shitty. That's yeah. number one. You've got um, such a beautiful <laughs> book, too. It's I great. Know, it's so nice. Yeah. Well, I'm just not really. By the time I get done writing it and all that, I just want to get it done, and then it just looks like crap. And I'm actually asked a lot. I have a lot of artist friends, and they've um, done stuff for me, and it looks always looks better when they do the cover and everything. Yeah. But um, I don't know, and I'm not, I don't have the money to like, make it look super great. So I don't know. So, so, uh, so, in a sense, I mean, you're really making these like if if that sub, if that uh, subscriber list didn't exist, then the zine might not exist as a zine anymore. Yeah, I think so. Sadly to say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what do you think? I mean, do you think the zine is an artifact, or do you think it's like prescient? I mean, it's, I think it's like it totally. It, it, it is. Um, you know, but I'm I'm somebody who's still entrenched in that in in a sense i mean i you know i you have a zine i don't but oh. and, and I, but you know and it's the same like you know i it's the same for me in, in comics like i used to do a, a comics review site for a while and I, I don't make comics but every time i go into a town it's like going into a town and finding the record store finding mm-hmm. the used bookstore mm-hmm. you know it's it's. I mean, there's. It's nice. It's nice being able to go into a store and, and flip through those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, that said, I, I think one of the things that's probably it's like treasure hunting. It is like tre- well, that that's it exactly because you know not only are zines getting killed by you know blogs, but also just they're also kind of being killed by really shitty zines too. Yeah. Right? I mean, it. You know, it's it's it's. It, it, it's hard making that hunt every time when there's so mm-hmm. many sort of yeah. things to go through. Yeah. And, and those are in, in, in some way it almost seems harder to set yourself apart um, in that world than it, than it does from others, you know, to actually like, especially if you're making this thing, if you're photocopying this thing, if it like, as you said, if it's not the greatest looking thing in the world, like, why would people pick, why would it up? pick it up if it's yeah. just text if you're not you know if it's not a lot you know all mm-hmm. cartoons mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. why would somebody pick that out of the pile mm-hmm. i don't know yeah <laughs> i'm stumped you yeah. stumped me yeah i really you know, don't know you've got the you've got the book though that's 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 i think a l- little easier for people to kind of wrap their brains around in 2013 oh for sure yeah. it's been very strange i mean i did get my mfa so it's not like i'm like totally outside of the literary world but um Definitely is different. You know, people don't even know what a zine is yeah. half the time. So I don't, but I don't know if that's I don't know if that's because of the time. I don't know if it, like they were ever this 
piece of like mess. Oh no, I know there weren't. Yeah, yeah. People that work at bookstores don't even know what a zine is. Yeah. One time I got a list of all the independent. This was when I was young and stupid. Um, so old and stupid, but I think I was like 24 or something. I got a list of all the, like, the it's not that young. I mean, ultimately <laughs> 100 like independent bookstores yeah. in the U S and I just systematically went through and started calling each of them and yeah. said, do you carry zines? And most of the time they're like, what? Yeah. They didn't like understand what yeah. the sentence was that I just say said, you know, for, for two, like potentially yeah. 10 years there. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, when I, uh, it's, it's probably not totally analogous, but like, um, you know, I moved to New York for an internship and, uh, you know, I realized that I was just going to have to write for as many places as possible. And I had a, a very similar moment. And again, this is something that like doesn't really exist now, but I went to a bookstore. I sat in the magazine section and wrote the address, like the PO box of all of these different magazines down and sent them all letters. Wow. <laughs> like submissions. Yeah. And that's not a thing you can even do anymore at this point. Because it's all online? Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that, it's just right. like an experience that people right. just don't have right. anymore. Right. Yeah. How did that work for you? It worked great, actually. It's <laughs> totally, like, I, I, I'm, I, yeah, it, well, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the return rate was probably 15%, but that's great. You yeah. know, ultimately, that, that yeah. means that I've got four or five people who are letting me write so them. So how long have you lived in New York? It's been about 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. And you moved from the Bay to New York yeah. to be a writer. Yeah. 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 It's a tough <laughs> move. I, you know, I... Do you miss the Bay? I do. I do. I miss, like, the, you know, every time I come to anywhere on the West Coast, I, I have... You get stoked. Very serious. I do. I get hella stoked. By all the vibes. Yeah, I get hella stoked by the vibes. <laughs> um, no, I, I, you know, I definitely entertain ideas of, of, of coming out here. I mean, Seattle is great and Portland is yeah. great. Um, That's something I've struggled with, you know, like, just going... Moving well, around? it's like... It's like Portland, yeah, Portlandia, blah, blah, blah. It's like kind of a mecca in some respects, but it's still a kind of a backwater. How long have you been here for? I've lived here my whole life. Okay. So yeah. you, you were here when it was a logging town. Yeah. When it was actually some town. Yeah. Um, so I've, were, I've thought about that, like moving to New York and everything. But um, it's tough. That's tough. And like, especially once I got sick, I yeah. was like, I don't know. I mean, it was hard enough living just in San Francisco. Yeah. And just... It's I mean, just the medical gr- care is grind. great. It's a grind. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I don't recommend so. I don't recommend it to people. Like when people ask me about it, I like it, but like I would feel bad being the person to recommend that to somebody and having them moving to New York or moving yeah, anywhere. Moving to New York. Yeah. And having them hate their lives. <laughs> you know, I don't think any like I I've t- I've talked to very few people who live there who at the very least don't have a love hate relationship with it. I I'm sure that's to some degree true. Portland too, right? I mean I, I'm actually writing an essay right now. I'm working on my next book. Yeah. Um, I'm working on a on a book of essays, which I've been told is not very easy to get published. But I'm actually. I just bought one on your on your imprint. Yay! <laughs> um, I mean, I have faith. I think you know. It, the thing is, I didn't know that I was going to write a book. You know, when people when I got this book published, it was like it's something I'd been working on those pieces for eight years and now yeah. they were a book and it was this thing. And then I would, I went on a book tour and people were like, what's your next book about? And I was like, I didn't even know I was writing the first fucking book, you know? So I don't know. And people were saying, you should write a, um, you should write a full length thing about Cushing's disease. And, and I just real, I just had this epiphany like four or five months ago where I was like, screw that. I don't know how to do that. I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. It supposedly is easier to get a, 
you know, long narrative published. Yeah. But and do people want to read a full-length book about Cushing's disease? It, I mean, that's an interesting question, I don't know. too. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but I always get ideas for essays. So that's when I decided, you know what? I'm going to write a book about essays, and okay. that's just what I'm going to do, and fuck it, you know? Yeah. So the essay I'm working on right now is all about this idea of home and what home means. And I'm third-generation Oregonian. And on some level, yeah, there's the lore. Every time I go to San Francisco, all my San Franciscan friends just twist my arm trying to get me to move down there. Yeah. And I get, have a total crisis of like, what the? oh, my God, maybe I should move down there and everything. But what always pulls me back is that I was at a party like a year ago, and I went outside to have a cigarette. Mm-hmm. And I overhear these two guys talking, and one of them was visiting from Phoenix, and one of them had moved to Portland maybe like within that year. And they were talking, oh, how do you like Portland, blah, blah, And one guy goes, eh, Portland's like a five-year city, meaning hmm. he would just, like, it was worth it for five years, but then you move on to someplace better or something like that. And it really made me incredibly angry um, because I think people move here. It's like here. a college town, but like a post-college college town. Well, yeah, it's like a cultural event. Yeah. You know, people are moving here for a variety of reasons, but mostly cultural. I know it's not because there's jobs here. They don't move here to go, I'm going to make a lot of money in Portland. No, they don't do that. And so they don't stick around. And so you kind of get this tourist thing and I'm going to, this is a rant. Okay. I just fully, this is like a townie, a townie pride rant. Yes. And that's, you know, and the thing is Portland has always been a growing city. Um, The only time the population ever went down was in the 80s. And so it's always been, and this is true for every place, that you have to to at some point come to terms with change. Mm -hmm. But it's just what kind of change do you want it to be, you know? And we have, I think, the second highest growth in the demographic of like 20 to 35. Mm -hmm. So it's mostly young people that are moving here. And And that's um, positive? positive in some ways but it's also negative in a lot of ways i mean the commerce that builds up builds up around that is probably good well no? it's it's a lot of restaurants i mean those yeah. aren't really like jobs that will sustain a family oh no but i mean know? just having these stores around you know yeah well it's nice yeah. i mean it's nice yeah. you know whatever i don't know music so, and yeah i mean that's yeah. that's kind of what the essay is about is you know the, the good and the bad, but I think what the bad is, and that's what I'm going to focus on, mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's more interesting. This is like your don't c- move to Portland. This is oh, wow. This is they mine. don't. No one cares what I think. They'll yeah. move here anyway. Um, is that people don't know the history and they don't care yeah. what the history is? Yeah, you know they don't understand why things are the way they are. And having lived here my whole life, I have some vague understanding of why things are the way they are, and, and people just don't really aren't interested in that and that really bugs me yeah it's uh, the interesting thing to me about it and, and please please correct me if i'm wrong because this is a second third person understanding of it but this is something i've talked to a friend of mine who's been living in seattle for some time and and you know he says um seattle and and portland are similar in that like they both weren't the town that they are now now yeah, like not very long ago yeah it's mm-hmm. it's recent history yeah. it's like within our lives yeah right? i mean what so 1980, 1980, let's say, for example, I mean, what, what, what's Portland like? Well, everyone that lived on the west side wouldn't go to the east side because it was the bad part of town. Yeah. You know, that, that was prevalent, I think, up until the mid-90s because there was a lot of gang activity. It's funny. Like well, a, a lot in quotes. Yeah. I mean, whatever. Sure. Yeah. I, I, this is something I was, I was, I was talking to uh, Nicole about, actually, before, is because I, I made some offhanded comment about, like, when I come to Portland, I listen to a lot of Elliot Smith. Uh huh. And she was like, "Yeah, I mean, you like 
none of the geographic references in there are relevant anymore. Yeah. Because 1990, you know, whatever, when mm-hmm. he was recording those records. Yeah. Like Alameda Street is very mm-hmm. different than it is now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. This is totally recent history. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't grow up in Portland proper, but I, I lived in the Columbia River Gorge. Not only Portland, but also the outlying areas like Troutdale, which is near where I live now, um, was mostly agricultural. And now it's like Honda dealerships and like Carl's Juniors and all that, you know. And so I don't remember what your question was, but it's all changed. Everything has changed in 20, 30 years. Yeah. And the thing is, I think I think this is my grand theory of what Portland's going to be. Okay, so. You look at Manhattan is the number one population density, mm-hmm. and San Francisco's two. San Francisco's a peninsula. Mm-hmm. Manhattan's an island. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of the urban growth boundary in Portland? No. So it's an artificial, actual thing. Okay. And there was this guy that like walked the urban growth boundary and did like they did like an OPB, Oregon Public Broadcasting story on right. it, right? So it's an artificial boundary that they that Metro or the city government has decided that we will infill density. Till a critical point is crossed, and then we may extend it or not. But it's basically it's an excellent idea because this is like urban eugenics, right? I mean, it's like well, exactly. <laughs> no, that's a really good comparison. Yeah, because um, you know you save some of the the nature and the farmland yeah. and all that, and you you're more economic with your land use. Which is and Portland's still an incredibly naturally beautiful place, it's, unlike most cities. Uh, totally, yeah. like it's amazing. But it's not going to be that way for very much longer. It's hmm. going to be. The, the actual physical geography of Manhattan and San Francisco has been artificially imposed yeah. on Portland. And so, yeah, it's great. It's efficient. We're going to cram as many people into as small as amount of yeah. space as we can because then it'll be like 20 minutes and you're in like nature. But the problem is how high are the rents in Manhattan and San yeah. Francisco? They're like really high. So places. it's not all positive. I mean, the rents have gone insane, like yeah. through the roof here. Like it's not a cheap place to live really anymore. You know, people, oh, Portland's cheap. It's like, well... So, so not me, that much cheaper, really. Now, no. So, so let me ask you this: I mean, I, you know, and, and I get, I get what draws people to Portland now. Mm-hmm. I, I, mean, I, I totally, totally get it. But you know, what, what um, is it? Family or what? It, what is? What has kept you here? Um, well, I think what I'm going to write about in the essay, and what really rings true to me, is family. Yes, familiarity. Yes, but I think there's something to be said about. Um, the natural world and spirituality. Mm-hmm. And this is going to sound really woo-woo and like new agey and very Oregon. But um, if you understand a place, I mean, that's a deep understanding that's really not valued very much. I yeah. mean, people are so transient. And that's something that I'm trying to get at. And why is it? Why are people so willing to give up what their home is? Why aren't they having a connection with the land? Why aren't they deeply connected to natural places? So what do you understand about Portland that maybe other people living here don't? I mean, what, you know, what, what is that fundamental understanding you have with this place that somebody who moved here in the past two years doesn't? I w- well, I wouldn't use the word fundamental, but I yeah. would say that, um, well, for the urban, the urban growth boundary, I mean, that's just one example, or the, why there is... You're saying a, 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 just a, a knowledge? Just a knowledge, yeah, just a knowledge base. Yeah. That, and having grown up in the woods and having grown up, you know, on the Sandy River, there's a certain spiritual connection you get, mm-hmm. and it makes you fight all the harder. You know, I, I, the thing is, and maybe I'm just a very selfish, self-centered person, <laughs> but I have friends that moved here from, I have a lot of friends that moved here from dying industrial towns in okay. the Northeast. Okay. 
and um, Pittsburgh or Buffalo, those kind of places, right? They are all environmental environmentalists, like activists that work for nonprofits, and I'm not doing that. I mean, here I am, like preaching, like, oh, save the old growth. I'm not doing that. You're still making things out of paper. (laughs) Exactly, right? (laughs) So I'm like a total hypocrite and like totally selfish. But I think the problem is, is that I'm just not that abstract. It's like in order to do that work, you have to have, it's like you, you have to be able to make a certain amount of abstraction of Mm. nature and like say, I'm working for this cause instead of saying, I'm working for the certain secret swimming spot. I don't want anyone out of towners to know about yeah. because this is my, you know, square mile. You're not thinking about the grandchildren. I'm thinking about my grandchildren, okay. <laughs> not the grandchildren. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But so, you're, so, so, so you're, you're. I mean, in a sense, you're concerned with urban planning of the city and the future of the city, not necessarily the trees surrounding it. I would just hate to see the places that I love ruined. Yeah. I think that's what it comes down to. So you know, and some of them already have been. Yeah, I mean, what's an example? You don't have to give any dresses. I don't want our, my my you know twenties of listeners to to descend <laughs> upon it. But you know, what's an example of like you know because this is uh, and this is something I think about a lot living in New York. Why? Right? Why is that? Well, I mean, I've only been there for. 10 years but that's a bit well no but but it's but it extends beyond that i mean you know it, like everybody else in north america i've got a or everybody else in certain parts of, of north america i've got certain romantic notions about new york city mm-hmm. and, and what it means and you know even in the 10 years i've moved there and 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 when i moved there um this this is what, like one of the reasons why i like chicago for example mm-hmm. and and you know certainly there's still a fair share of Starbucks opening up in Chicago, but there's but Chicago. I, I don't know how much of a conservative effort it's made, and how much of it is just kind of in the fabric of the of that town. But there are still some weird things left in Chicago. There's mm-hmm. still weird mm-hmm. in Chicago left, mm-hmm. and I I just can't say that there's a lot of that in in New York City. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. uh, there's I mean there you know I mean you can go to outer boroughs, but there's a lot of what made it unique is just is not there anymore. Yeah. Would you live in Manhattan? I don't. I live in Queens. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Astoria is not too dissimilar in that respect is, you know, and it's just, it's becoming like the rest of the country. So I, you know, I certainly, I can certainly appreciate that. Um, and I'm wondering what, what are, what are the, what are these things that are still remaining that you still kind of hold dear? And are these things that, people moving into town know about or these secrets well there wouldn't be any i wouldn't ever tell you the secret spots in sure. now on the sandy river so those don't have an address anyway and i have to blindfold you if i okay. take you there um natural spots when to go on certain hikes and what days okay. and where to go and all that yeah aside from nature and like just small businesses and stuff um tad's chicken and dumplings um it's a little uh, it's not actually in Portland. It's on the Sandy River, and mm-hmm. it's in Troutdale. And it is a diner that's been there since the 40s. Uh, a little bit of local history is that I-84 didn't used to exist, which is the East-West Passage. And there used to only be the um, Columbia River Scenic Highway, which was supposed to be this masterpiece of civic engineering. And it had, you know, it was modeled after an Italian mm-hmm. highway or whatever. So this used to actually be the only way to get from 
east to west into Oregon, period. And it only lasted maybe 15 years before it started totally falling apart because Hmm. they didn't really build it to uh, handle the heavy traffic that ended up. And when my grandparent, my great grandparents migrated, uh, immigrated or whatever the word is to Oregon from Kansas, they came in on that highway. And um, anyway, it's once they put 84 in, a lot of those businesses went out of business because people didn't travel it except for the scenicness or whatever. But Tad's like has held on and it's actually held on very like dangerously because I think the only thing that the Sandy River floods all the time because it's fed by snow melt from Mount Hood and then there's the spring rains and if it all happens too fast and there's like flooding I mean the house next to Tad's was swept into the river and it was an old couple that lived there and they were in the car and they were getting ready to go. And the woman, the old woman was like, I got to save the cat. And the man's like, no, don't go in. She's like, I got to go in. And it was like a raging muddy river. And the, the yeah. bank was just being eaten away in a way. And it's like, don't go in. She was like, I have to. So she goes in to get the cat. He goes in after her. The house like unmoors yeah. itself from the banks, goes into the river. He somehow, I think it was in the sixties or seventies, climbs up on the roof. She drowned. So anyway, cat. cat didn't make it either. I don't think the cat survived either. <laughs> um, are, are these so? Yeah, that place has history and yeah. it's still around. And you know, people always say, "Cut down all these trees so we can see the Sandy River better." It's like yeah. these trees are the only thing that's keeping this like building on. Yeah, on the banks from eroding into yeah. the into the river. Are, are, are these things? I mean, are these things you know about just from living here for so long, or have you? kind of taking it upon yourself to be a kind of an amateur local historian? I don't think I've taken on myself to do that. I think that, uh, I don't know, I'm a curious person. It's kind of like being a journalist. You're yeah. the same way. I mean, you interview people and you're just a curious person. You know, I don't I don't know if you have this, this experience, but, you know, you ask someone a question, they're like, why do you want to know? And it's like, well, do I have to have a reason? I mean, I'm just sure. curious, sure. you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's... So, so, so as you're as you're putting together these essays, um, you know, you say obviously you're you're writing a, an essay about this, the the city. Um, I mean, it sounds like you've collected an interesting sort of you know pool of knowledge that that could maybe turn into something larger. Is this oh like Portland a book before about Portland? Or, oh, Portland. Yeah, have did you ever read Chuck Palahniuk's um, book? What was it called? Something in Refugees, and it was about Portland. You know who he is? I know. Who, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah, I didn't really like that book very much. Yeah, um, it, it, he's a Portlandian. Portlandian. He wrote Fight Club. He no, I know, he's I know who, from yeah. here. I okay. think he's from here, as far as I know. I think now he lives in the gorge. Here's a here's a Chuck. Not I, to make him an enemy. Sorry, Chuck. I just well, didn't here's really what I know like about your Chuck, book very much. Chuck um, I, I interviewed him years ago in college. And oh, you did. Oh, and, okay. and, and and the way I learned to pronounce his name is because his name is his uh, his mother and father's first names. Really? Pol- is it not his real last name? Or? No, it's Polinick. Oh. Polinick. Yeah. Okay, Polinick. It's like Miramax. So he made it up. Yeah, it's a it's a, a nom de plume. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. There's a Chuck Polinick fact. <laughs> the only one that I can... Oh, here's another Chuck Polinick fact. Uh, we were... So I, we, we, uh, I, interv- I interviewed him for like whatever you know college paper I was working for at Santa Cruz and... Um, he was doing a, whatever book he had coming out of the time at um, uh, at Capitola, which is like a, a city right around Santa Cruz. Mm-hmm. And, uh, photographer was like, "Hey, Chuck, can you and you know can you pretend like you're grappling with Brian, like it's a Pike of reference? Wouldn't do it. Do you get a picture of me thumb wrestling him though?" 
Well, that's nice. That's, that's a, a nice good compromise. Yeah. Like, well, that's something yeah. I show the grandchildren. Yeah. Here's me thumb wrestling an author you probably who have, probably hasn't stood the test of time. Unfortunately, I don't know. I, I you know what I didn't like about it, and it's been a long time since I've read it. But um, you know, it's just totally personal taste. But I want to write more about like the deep history. Yeah. You know, instead of the more surface stuff. You know, hmm. because I just don't find it very interesting. What's the, what's, the what, what's I don't know what's the surface stuff? For? Well, just like Portlandia kind of stuff. Like, oh, okay. oh, this is a city where like full of wackos and like characters. Contemporary. And yeah, contemporary yeah. stuff. I want to know why it's the way it is. It is you interesting, know? like, you know, like how much of like, how much of what we sort of think of as defining Portland is part of that, that history. And like, you know, I mean, um, like the weird strip clubs, the food, the food carts, things mm-hmm. like that. I mean, mm-hmm. are, are those, are those tied to some richer history or are those things that are, have happened in the last 20 years as this kind of new population has filtered in? Um, I think the food carts are a new population. I think the strip clubs, you know, I think Oregon is the least churched hmm. state in the nation. That's and if you look back, my grandmother, she was 25 when she graduated from college yeah. in New York. And she was originally from Missouri. And she decided to move to Oregon because she couldn't go back to the, to the small town she was from, Missouri, yeah. because she was 25 and she was an old maid, according to her. So she looked it up and she said, where's the state with the most single men? Huh. And it was Oregon, so that's why she would do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you, exactly. But, but you, that's why. But you, like, you have like a fundamentalist background, right? Mm-hmm. So how does that happen in, in the least churched? I don't know. That's I don't so know how that happens. Yeah. Unhappy marriages. I mean, it probably got its root in my grandma's okay. unhappy marriage, yeah. and so she be, she looked to the church, and then she passed it on to my it's dad a, and my mom. It's interesting to those, you know, like coming from New York to sort of enter into that life, right? I mean. To be an independent woman living and going to school. Well, in she city. wasn't. She was Catholic. This is my other grandma. That's oh, the fundamentalist. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Getting your yeah. grandma's confused. That's all right. <laughs> all right. That was uh, Martha Grover, the uh, third and, and final installment of. I guess I would call that the Portland trilogy of interviews. Uh, Martha has a fantastic zine called Somnambulist. Um, you can check that out uh, over on her, her website, which is. I'm told that's uh, it's like the it's like the new zine, the, the, the websites. It's like an e-zine of sorts. It's uh, somnambulistzine.com is the site. You can also pick up a copy of uh, her new book, One More for the People, which is a collection of I think roughly eight years or so of uh, the aforementioned zine. Uh, thank you so much to Martha for for meeting me at a hotel lobby in Portland to do that interview. Uh, thanks to everybody else in, uh, in Portland, uh, Dave uh, Dave Allen, of course. Nicole George. Um, thanks to uh, thanks as ever to Brian for uh, editing this together. Thanks to Mark and everybody else at Boing Boing for hosting it. Thank thank you, listener, for being a listener to the show. Uh, if you liked what you heard, you can uh, send us an email. I guess you can also send us an email if you if you don't like what you've, you've heard, but uh, less less of a fan of those. Uh, it's R I Y L cast dot gmail.com uh, follow us on tumblr riylcasts.tumblr.com or we're just you know on, on boing boing roughly a week uh, once, once a week or so so that might actually be the easiest way to do it uh, we're over on iTunes as well raise on iTunes uh, and uh, we will be back again with another episode got a lot of really awesome ones lined up um, spoke to Reggie Watts spoke to uh, Kim Deitch uh, Lisa Hanawalt, uh just just uh, just met uh, Leslie Stein in a park. So another another great park uh, recording 
of the show. Uh, lots of awesome stuff coming up. We uh, will catch you next week with another episode of R.I.Y.L. 